Welcome to Eye on the Triangle with Sesha Hindi, a weekly glimpse into our community, bringing you news from the brickyard to your backyard. This week in news on Eye on the Triangle, a brief rundown of the latest news. Good evening, I'm Jack Boyer. I'm Evan Garris. Today is Monday, November 9th, and here now the news on Eye on the Triangle. President Obama has called for the Senate to act quickly on the health care bill passed by the House on Saturday night, according to the New York Times. Appearing in the White House Rose Garden on Sunday, the president said it's time for the Senate to, quote, take up the baton and bring this effort to the finish line. The White House is concerned that the the deliberation, rather, over the bill may slip into next year, a consequence that may impede President Obama's domestic agenda. However, passing the bill will not be easy, as several moderate senators have already expressed concern over the inclusion of a public option. Only 218 votes were needed to adopt the bill, and the final tally was 220 to 215. Major Nidal Hassan, the man responsible for a shooting rampage at Fort Hood, Texas, is reportedly awake and talking, according to the Associated Press. He is in stable condition at a hospital in San Antonio. The Army psychologist killed 13 and injured 29 last Thursday. Sergeant Kimberly Munley, the civilian police officer who brought the shooting to an end, hails from Wrightsville Beach, North Carolina, according to station WECT. Here's Evan with a roundup of world news. Fireworks brightened the skies of Berlin on Monday night as Germany celebrated the 20th anniversary of the fall of the Berlin Wall, according to the BBC. Erected in 1961, the 96-mile-long barrier kept East Germans from fleeing to capitalist-controlled West Berlin. In the years that it stood in place, at least 136 people were killed trying to escape. German Chancellor Angela Merkel presided over today's celebrations, saying that, quote, Together we brought down the Iron Curtain, and I am convinced that this can give us strength for the 21st century. Merkel was joined by former Soviet Premier Mikhail Gorbachev and former Polish President Lech Walesa as jubilant crowds cheered the leaders that made change possible. Three American hikers that strayed across Iraq's border and into Iran this summer have been charged with espionage, according to the New York Times. U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton quickly repudiated these charges and called for their release, citing a lack of any substantial evidence to prove wrongdoing. This development could further strain relations between the U.S. and Iran at a time when the countries are conducting negotiations over Iran's fledgling nuclear program. The United States has attempted to negotiate the release of these hostages through Swiss Swiss diplomats representing America's interest in Iran, but with little success. The U.S. severed all diplomatic ties with the country after the 1979 takeover of its embassy in Tehran. Here's Jack with the national stories. WDBJ Television now reports that the United States Supreme Court will not stop the scheduled execution of D.C. sniper John Allen Muhammad. His execution is still scheduled for tomorrow in Virginia. Ten died in the fall 2002 shootings in Virginia, Maryland, and the District of Columbia. Stocks rallied today as the Dow Jones Industrial Average hit a high for the year, according to Reuters, closing at 10,226 points. The 203-point bump is attributed to an announcement made by the Group of 20, pledging to keep aid flowing to the world economy. Lower worldwide interest rates incentivize investment in risky assets like stocks and reduce the cost of corporate financing used for investment. General Electric and Sprint Nextel were the big winners today, both gaining significant percentages that helped the market. Volume on the New York Stock Exchange was moderate, with 1.24 billion shares being traded, which is below last year's daily average of 1.49 billion. And a late-season tropical surprise, Tropical Storm Ida is taking aim at the U.S. Gulf Coast. Though the storm's winds are only 70 miles per hour, it is rapidly weakening before it comes ashore this evening somewhere along the coastline of Alabama or Florida. The main threats to the southeast will be flooding, with 3 to 6 to even 8 inches of rain possible in parts of the southeast. North Carolina is certain to see that rain, and we will cover that during the weather forecast at the end of the news segment. 
This morning, five clinics in Wake County were distributing the H1N1 vaccine. As of 4 o'clock, WRAL reports that they're closed because the supply has run out yet again. People waiting for waited for hours to be one of the 6,000 to receive today's sh- shipment. But area health of health leaders anticipate additional shipments of the vaccine in the coming weeks. Keep in mind, most distributors are trying to make sure that children, pregnant women, and other high-risk patients are the first in line. Tired of having your NCSU laundry money in one place, your lunch money in another, and your copying money somewhere in Narnia? Today's technician has good news. Student government is looking into a way to combine all-campus board bucks and wolf copy into one payment system. Bob Wood, Interim Associate Vice Chancellor of Campus Enterprises, says that this upgrade could involve new ID cards that can also act as key fobs. But this newsreader suspects that his ID picture will still manage to be hideous. The next time you're driving home on break or vacation, you may have to suck it up and use a gas station restroom. The AP reports that several states, including Virginia and Georgia, have closed rest stations as as a cost-saving measure. Virginia closed about half of its 42 rest areas, with savings estimated around half a million dollars per year for each of the closed facilities. The move is unpopular, and recently elected Governor Bob McDonnell is promising to reopen the rest stops once he takes office. In the weather, today was pleasant, but wait until the rain arrives. Overnight tonight, expect clouds with a low in the mid-50s. Tomorrow, rain showers gradually build in by the afternoon with a high in the mid-60s. The rain in question will be leftovers from Tropical Storm Ida as it makes its way onshore into Alabama and Florida. Tomorrow night, the rain will be at its peak with, get this, one to potentially four inches of rain possible for some listeners in central North Carolina, a number which is actually quite consistent with what deteriorating tropical systems can bring. On Wednesday, the rain will continue heaviest during the morning. Otherwise, it will be a mostly cloudy and breezy day with winds around 20 miles an hour and temperatures in the mid-50s. Thursday's forecast is rather uncertain depending on the motions of Ida. Right now, it is looking to be a raw day in contrast to Wednesday with clearing skies, highs in the mid-50s, and cool, breezy winds. Keep in mind, the rainfall totals and duration will depend on the exact path that the remnants of Ida take, so pay attention to the forecast. However, we need the rain. Right now, the Climate Prediction Center says Central North Carolina is in a moderate drought, with RDU Airport running a nearly 10-inch rainfall deficit on the year. Let's just hope we don't make it up all at once. At the present, it's 67 degrees and overcast in Raleigh. At about 5.15 on this day in 1965, the electricity went out in New York City and all over the Northeast U.S. and Canada. The result of an equipment malfunction at a generating station in Niagara Falls, or the service wasn't restored for nearly 12 hours, leaving many stranded in subway cars and elevators and bringing radio and television communications to a grinding halt. On this day in 1979, NORAD detects a massive inbound Soviet nuclear strike. However, after checking with the early warning radars, officials realized that a training tape had accidentally been loaded into computers without the proper procedure, and the alert was called off. Aren't we glad that didn't turn out differently? Absolutely. On this day in, I believe it was 1932, 35, everybody's favorite Carl Sagan was born. He was an astrophysicist and television host. And and more recently, David Duvall, professional golfer and Nikki Blonsky star of Hairspray. A reminder, you can find links for more information about each of the stories we featured tonight at www.wknc.org slash EOT. The time is 7.10, and you're now up to date. listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. I told you guys this week's newscast would be a little better than last week's. John came back and joined us. 
We have a lot for you to look forward to in today's episode. Our VIP segment is focusing on NC State's emergency alert system with respect to the shootings in Fort Hood, Texas, and Florida. And here this, we'll be focusing on post-show coverage of Troika. In Community Canvas, we'll have First Friday coverage. And in Sound Bites, we will talk about the text messaging ban and see what students around campus think of that. Additionally, we'll have our Wolfpacker of the Week segment. And now on to VIP. the triangles vip talking to people that matter promotions director karen morera decided to graciously sit down and interview david rayner associate vice chancellor for environmental health and public safety about nc state's emergency alert system you can listen to his interview now given the recent tragic shootings in texas and florida emergency plans are becoming a topic on the national forefront again A similar phenomenon occurred after the Virginia Tech and NIU shootings. So we wanted to focus this week's episode on NC State's emergency alert system. Mr. Rayner, can you give us a brief overview of what the Wolf Alert System at NC State entails and how it compares to systems at other schools? How much does the entire system cost to operate? NC State has always been very much involved with emergency planning. And environmental health and safety and campus police were integrated about uh, 10 years ago. And that's a very good mix because um, campus police and environmental health and safety are the two organizations on campus that are involved with uh, emergency planning and emergency response. Um, We developed the Wolf Alert System after the Virginia Tech incident. And at that time, we put in place several notification systems to alert the campus in case of an emergency. Um, We have the 13 speaker arrays, which are allocated across campus, including Centennial Biomedical, Carter-Finley Stadium, and Centennial Campus and Main Campus. And those 13 speaker arrays can be either a tone and or a voice And in case of an emergency, we would send out a tone alerting people that a message was coming and then give people uh, direction. Now, the 13 speaker arrays are primarily intended for people who are outside. For individuals who may be inside, um, we have committed to notifying people through the campus radio station, should time allow, through WRAL. Uh, We use text messaging. We implemented a text messaging system about three years ago. And we also have access to the university homepage so that we can send an emergency uh, broadcast email to everybody on campus. And each system has its uh, pros and cons. How often is it tested? It was tested last semester and students had to respond to a text message. What percentage of students are subscribed to the system now? And how do you plan to increase that number? We do a lot of advertising to try to get individuals to enroll in our text messaging system. And we currently have about 23,000 individuals enrolled, and that includes employees and students. I don't have the exact number, but I I believe there are about 17,000 students who are enrolled, and the remainder are employees. As I said, we do an awful lot of advertising 
and we're trying to get people to en- enroll on uh, on a daily basis. It's a, a rolling enrollment. So if somebody enrolls in our text messaging system, they're updated into our database that particular week. Each time a tragedy becomes the focus of national news, especially on a college campus, other colleges and universities begin to discuss their emergency plans and preparations in case they want to deal with a similar situation on their campuses. But what is NC State doing to make sure that these plans are discussed continuously and not something that only pops up when other institutions face an issue? We not only do we advertise the existence of our Wealth Alert programs, but we try to be very proactive in terms of training that we provide. Um, Campus police visit with all prospective students during student orientation. We visit with all parents. We encourage students to enroll. We run all kinds of awareness training programs. We have an active shooter training program that um, campus organizations can arrange to see through campus police. Um, And we do try to keep uh, this in everybody, the emergency planning component in, in everybody's mind. Does each department on campus have a set plan for emergencies? Generally, campus uh, organizations and departments have business continuity plans. And a business continuity plan is a plan that a, camp- that a campus organization would implement if they could not use their facility. So in other words, if there was a fire in a particular building, a college or department can implement their business continuity plan so that they could run their academic uh, component of their operation out of another ex- building, for example. But the emergency response planning and the crisis communication planning is coordinated through environmental health and safety and through campus police. Who makes the call to cancel classes and put the university on lockdown? I think the issue of lockdown is a misnomer, especially as it relates to a campus that's the size of NC State University. Uh, Remember that on any given day, um, we could have upwards of 40,000 people on campus and we're covering 2,500 acres. When we initiate the Wolf Alert system or the voice activated system that is intended to notify people that an emergency is occurring, um, again, that's to notify people who are outside. We've always instructed people when they get an emergency alert, whether it's a text message, whether it's the uh, audible wolf alert system, whether it's um, an emergency email, to shelter, shut, and listen. And our goal is for the individuals who receive or hear the message to be proactive and to shelter in place. In other words, don't go outside and investigate what's going on. Lock down their space that they're in and or lock down their building that they're in. So an emergency like the one that just occurred is very much a partnership in that we're relying on uh, the people who become aware of an emergency to take some kind of positive, proactive action. What are the future plans for NC State in terms of emergency alerts? Well, we're always testing our systems. We test our systems on the first Monday of every month. Um, We send an audible message over the wolf alert system. We also send a text message to a select group um, across campus to make sure that that campus, uh, that that emergency message uh, goes out. So our planning and testing is, uh, is really ongoing. The thing that we try to do also on an annual basis is run emergency type drills that take into account various types of situations and tabletop drills where we 
sit around a table, contemplate what kind of emergencies might occur, and uh, talk about those emergencies. I think we're, we're very fortunate in that we have a great campus police force. Uh, we have mutual aid agreements with the city of Raleigh and other municipal police agencies. The other thing to remember is that in North Carolina, uh, all police officers go through basic law enforcement training, including our campus police officers. And during that training, they are all trained in how to deal with an active shooter. And I think one of the things that is informative is the fact that the recent unfortunate incident that occurred, the police officer that interceded was a police officer that had been trained in North Carolina. And she did what all police officers are trained to do in North Carolina, and that's to go uh, directly to the scene of a shooting as it's occurring. And they have special plans that they're trained to implement to, in effect, shoot the shooter. And... She exercised the uh, the plan flawlessly. We hope such an incident never occurs on our campus, but our police are trained to do the same. That was David Rayner, the Associate Vice Chancellor for Environmental Health and Public Safety, on Eye on the Triangle's VIP. I'm Kieran Marrera. Listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1 Raleigh. I'm Seja Hindi. You just heard our VIP segment of the week. Next up, we will have our sports segment after we take a short break. And make sure to check our blog on WKNC.org slash blog for an exclusive interview continuation of our VIP. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Next up, we have Wolfpack Sports. It's been a busy week in football sports. Basketball is back. Football picked up its first conference victory. So let's start talking about football, Tyler and Derek. Talk to me about the game. What, what made us win this game? Well, when you look at everything and, and consider it all, you really have to look at uh, the defense coming up and, and making some plays at the end of the game and getting a, uh, a stop against Maryland. Um, the story the last few weeks has been the fact that uh, NC State wasn't able to stop anybody. Obviously, that was the case against Florida State. Uh, they drove right down the field at the end of the game and won. But uh, the defense made some plays at the end of the Maryland game and, and really kind of kind of got the got the win for the team. Um, the offense played well again, uh, racked up 38 points. Russell Wilson had another good day, uh, almost a career high in passing yards again with 343. Uh, he threw three touchdowns. He did throw three interceptions, but, um, again, he's playing well. The offense is uh, looking like a well-oiled machine. Tyler, um, talk to me a little bit more about the game. What what did you see? I didn't actually go to the game this week. Uh, not a very good fan, I guess, but uh, talk to me about what you saw being there. Well, one thing I thought was really impressive is you beat a Maryland team. You beat anybody after a four-game losing streak, and, a, and in a close game for the team to have kept their confidence up and played well down the stretch is huge. And another thing is, I mean, I would call this a very impressive victory, and some might uh, roll their eyes at that because Maryland hadn't had a great season, but you give up two non-offensive touchdowns and still win, that's something. You give up one non-offensive touchdown and win, that's that, that's playing well, and you give up two and still win. You did a lot well with the exception of those two plays. Love to see them clean that up and not give up two non-offensive touchdowns, but to win in spite of that really, really is impressive. And throw in that we did that after a four-game losing streak, That's really that's really nothing to... Nothing to underestimate. Right. Speaking of that four-game losing streak, um, I really think that this win, I don't know that it'll necessarily kind of catapult NC State to having a great rest of the season. Um, they got some tough games coming up. 
But I really think for just a, a confidence point of view, looking at it that way, this win couldn't have... Huge. It's huge. Absolutely huge. huge. No, Especially no, with the amount of young people that were involved in it. The youth we've got in the secondary, for them to get a victory is huge. The quarterback for Maryland was hurt, and the backup came in, and, and people are going to point to that as part of it. But for them to stop anyone with the game on the line, and granted, we, we finished the game with the sack and with a big pressure, but that the pressure doesn't get there and the sack doesn't get there. Not to take away from Michael Lemon, who made a great play, but he doesn't get there if people are open. Right. So you got to give them some credit for, I won't call that a coverage sack, but people need to realize that any time uh, the defensive line is getting there two plays in a row, there's probably pretty good coverage somewhere. Right, exactly. Another thing I wanted to talk about a little bit about uh, recently what I've kind of seen NC State shifting to more, they've relied on the run a little bit more. Uh, I don't have the numbers for the last two or three games, but I know I do have the numbers in front of me from Saturday. Tony Baker got 19 carries. I think he got somewhere around 19 to 20 carries. I think he got carries. exactly 19 against Florida State. Um, don't quote me on that, but I believe he got the same number against Florida State. And And from early on in the year, I was under the impression that that's what needed to be happening with this offense. Russell Wilson, obviously a great player. Obviously, he's going to make plays for you, but the way to win football games in any conference is to run the ball first and be consistent with that. If you can run the ball, have time of possession on the teams you're playing, you're always going to be better. Um, talk to me a little bit about what you saw. Obviously, I'm looking at it right now. Tony Baker had 19 carries Saturday. Jamel Eugene, who hasn't played quite as well lately, got 12. Um, what you know? Talk about that a little bit. Um, what do you think this off? Do you think the offense is clicking more now because of the running game, or do you think it's still maybe a little combination? Oh, I definitely think the run game is playing a huge role in, in more than one way. Uh, Russell's great, but nobody nobody's going to be perfect when defenses know the pass is coming. And for us to have an element surprise, I think it's no coincidence that in the games our handoffs have increased. We've scored thirty eight and forty two. We've averaged forty points a game over the past two games. The games where we've ran the ball the most. And uh, I actually, at the beginning of the season, wondered if Baker was going to get back to form. I was skeptic and impatient, and but I realized it just took him a while to get rolling. He's he's really running well. It's he rarely gets tackled at the first hit. He was dragging guys all over against Florida State, and he's continued to do that. And not only does um, him and Jamel running the ball well help out the uh, offense in itself to score points, the biggest thing to help a struggling defense is a running game. If you can limit the opposing offense's time on the field, it helps in so many ways because um, the de- the defense's rest is rested and they're fresh when they come out there and they can play well and they know that they're not going to have to be on the field all day. If they can get a three and out, they won't have. They'll get you know ten fifteen minutes of rest if Baker and those guys can keep running the ball. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Uh, I'm old school. I want to see yeah. them running the ball. Um, another thing, we're going to move away from the win. Obviously, it's nice. Uh, NC State got its first victory. Yay. Everybody's <laughs> excited. Clemson's coming to town this Saturday. Um, I don't really know what to think about this game yet, other than the fact that uh, Clemson has played about as well as anybody in the conference over the last few weeks, maybe aside from Georgia Tech. They beat uh, Florida State, um, who had a hurt Christian Ponder, so I don't really know if you want to talk about it's that. It's a big they, win either way, though, after right. Florida State coming off our victory and coming off the Carolina victory. That was a hot Florida State team coming in there, and for – Clemson to pull that off, that's a big win, and they beat Miami earlier, so they're definitely rolling right now. Yeah, and, that, and the other thing uh, that scares me about Clemson, and we'll talk maybe briefly about this, um, anybody who follows the ACC probably knows the name C.J. Spiller. Anybody who follows football on a national level probably knows who C.J. Spiller is. Um, he kind of had a showcase game Saturday against Florida State. Yeah. And, and as uh, maybe the improvement of the defense the last couple of weeks or you know the, the idea that there's been improvement – 
Um, I'm really, really scared about what C.J. Spiller is going to do yeah. to NC State's defense on Saturday. I, I, I agree with that. Um, we've we've made nobodies into somebody with some of the efforts some of these guys have had. The running back for Boston College, I don't believe, has had a big day since or beforehand, and we saw what he did. So with somebody like C.J. Spiller, who is an established dominant threat, I believe at the press conference today O'Brien was asked if Spiller was the best player in the conference, and he didn't hesitate to say without a doubt, C.J. Spiller is as good as anybody and this defense is really going to need to step up. But one thing, interesting thing I'll, I'll want to see, the, the negative part of me wonders, hey, if a great back like that's coming in and lesser backs have had big days, what's he going to do? But another part of me is these some of these guys have snuck up on us. This defense wasn't zoned in and game planning ready for these guys, and they're going to know C.J. Spiller's coming. And if there, if there is a strength of this defense, it's that front four. Alan Michael Cash had a great game Saturday. We all know what Willie Young's capable of. Michael Lemon single-handedly took the game over the last two plays like that. So this defensive line, C.J. Spiller's not going to sneak up on him, and it'll be interesting to see what they do with knowing what's going to come. A lot of these offenses that have gashed us have done it with a variety of guys getting out in space and finding guys out of position. If C.J. Spiller has a big day on it, it's not because we're not going to see him coming. It's, it'll, be, it'll be interesting. It'll be a change from the offenses we've seen in the past because we know, we know what's coming this yeah, week. Yeah, if nothing else, it'll be interesting. It always is with NC State. Hey guys, Mike Austin here. I had a question. Uh, so it's nice that we won our first conference game, but in, in all reality, we're looking towards next year. We're trying to figure out what does this mean for next year's team. First of all, is Tony Baker going to be back? When will we know about that? And uh, and what's the quarterback situation going to be like? Any any updates on that? Uh, go ahead. Uh, I, can, go ahead I can speak for Tony Baker. Well, I can't speak definitively, but I can say what O'Brien said today. O'Brien doesn't know. Uh, the NC State has sent the paperwork in and uh, is waiting on a decision, and O'Brien said he's checked in every Monday, so I believe he knows about as well as we do what the deal is with Tony Baker. And then another variable will come in if and when we do get the decision, will he forgo his eligibility? That's a whole other issue. If he puts together a couple other big games and thinks it's time to go pro, he's been here quite a while. We'll see. See another, if he's interested in coming back. Right, and another thing with Tony Baker, um, and I, don't, I, I can't speak definitively on this either, but um, I, I am under the impression that this decision will come early enough before uh, the football signing period so that there's scholarship limits and all those types of questions don't come into play. Yeah. Um, we should know this sometime but, after the season. Because O'Brien kept think. saying he's been checking every Monday, I got a feeling that this decision's coming sooner. He wouldn't be asking for it and being surprised to not be getting it. Right. And as far as, uh, as, far as Russell Wilson goes, yeah. that's, the, uh, that's the hot question right now. Um, you know, I really don't know. Everybody seems to think that, that his, his future is in baseball, and – and I, will, I won't dispute that. Um, I don't necessarily know that his future is in football either. Um, but I know that Russell Wilson, if he stuck around, could be a part of a pretty special offense if Tony Baker does come back next year. Um, oh, yeah, with, you the got receivers, a, with the weapons at receiver and the youth on the offensive line, those, those young linemen can really play. Uh, R.J. Mattis was having a real, a real good year. Being one of, O'Brien never starts freshmen even when they're red-shirted. So for him to have started Mattis, and for the other offensive linemen who have been happy with him, and there's a whole host of other guys on the offensive line um, that are that are ready to step up, according to uh, McCullough. McCullough talked at length about a number of the of the potential stars on that offensive line, and we've seen what we've seen. The defense is certainly young. Um, some would argue that's a bad thing, and we need some new guys in there. But uh, you can't help but hope that those guys are going to learn. And being freshmen in the secondary is as hard as playing anywhere. And the experience they're getting right now, it hurts right now. It hurts bad. hurts for us. hurts for the team. But those guys are going to be great players their sophomore and junior years because they'll have, they'll, have been, they'll have been used to it. O'Brien talked at the press conference today about how much 
emphasis there is in the secondary about guys just simply knowing what they need to be doing and their responsibilities is it's a lot more complicated than you think and sometimes true freshmen the reason the reason we're getting burnt is because they don't know who they're covering their the zones are mixed up and such and people have probably noticed that watching but the thing is is that's going to be that's going to be improved upon because these, these guys are going to learn without a doubt so okay and uh now I'm hearing that I maybe have about two minutes left so just kind of rushing me along here uh you know I could talk about football for hours. Um, I, as, I think I think everybody's already noticed we both could. So. Yeah, well, I, I'm going to touch on basketball real quick before we get out of here. Um, basketball team had an exhibition game last Thursday against St. Paul's College, uh, a, t- a sc- small school from Virginia in uh, Reynolds Coliseum. Wasn't an overly exciting game. NC State won by, I believe, 42. Um, but there were some things that to look at with, with what the team's going to be doing this year. Um, team's going to push the tempo. Uh, they're going to get the ball up and down the court. Um, which, you know, may be frustrating to watch at times because there is, there is some inexperience there, but it's going to be fun to watch. Um, obviously, the media doesn't think too, too highly of the team. They've, they've picked uh, NC State to finish yeah. 12th. Don't know that I can argue with that at this point. Uh, yeah. It's early. Nobody really knows let's, what's going to happen. Let's hope that's as accurate as everybody's high expectations about football were. Right, yeah. <laughs> we can have the opposite results. We see how much basketball. preseason meets or how much teams typically meet preseason, especially in Raleigh. You can't. I don't know of a team that's harder to predict in state year in, year out, game in and game out. So that almost might be an encouraging hate to call that encouraging, but the way the way picks turn out sometimes, maybe us being picked twelfth is a sign it's meant to be. Who knows? And and we can't go anywhere but up. How about that? Exactly. All right, guys. I don't know how much time I'm left with here, but it can't be much. Uh another another little news and note here. The men's soccer team, they're ranked fifteenth in the country right now. Uh they start the ACC tournament. Uh it's actually tomorrow night. Yeah, Wake Med Soccer Parks right over in Cary. I don't know that that's really Cary because it's like Hillsborough Street. It's, it's not it's that near far. Wolf Village for right. anybody that lives over there. Not Wolf Village, Wolf Creek. Excuse me. There we go. Go on out. They play Carolina uh, in the first round. Carolina's ranked number second or number two in the country. It's going to be a good game. Obviously, NC State's going to have a little bit of a home field advantage there playing in Cary. Came really so. close to beating them the first time, so maybe we'll get them back this time. Yeah. All right, guys. All right. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. on Eye on the Triangle. Your local music news. On Saturday afternoon and night at Durham's Troika Music Festival, 27 bands were spread across eight different venues, some impromptu, in what amounted to a critical mass of live music in the underdog of the triangle. But the one that caught me most by surprise, although I suppose it shouldn't have, was Ludd. I say I shouldn't have been blindsided by this band's awe-inspiring performance, because they've been together since 1992, and 2008's cleverly named V was their fifth album. Let's have a listen to the first track off of that album called One More Dollar.
Of course, the fact that a band that good can fly under my self-described thorough and vigilant local music radar for so long speaks to the wealth of musical talent that exists in the Triangle. But there was something special about Ludd. They were playing to a crowd that was largely there to see the bands before and after them, the very young, bright young things and Luego. Yet they seemed surprisingly comfortable, especially for a band who, as they described, usually plays two hours instead of the allotted 45 minutes, and a band whose lead guitarist had a broken arm at the night of the performance. When I told a friend later that night that I really enjoyed Ludd's performance, he informed me that I blew his mind a little bit because his high school English teacher used to give him Ludd tapes several years ago. For those of you who enjoy talking music pedigree, Sarah Bell of Ludd is also a member of Regina Hexaphone, and Byron Settle, the guitarist, used to be in the Pressure Boys. Kirk Ross and Lee Waters round out the lineup for Ludd. And there's really not much else I can say about this band that their live performance or their discography can't say for them. Let's have a listen to another track off of V. This one's called This Thing Called Love. For more on the local music scene, visit wknc.org slash blog. Community Canvas on Eye on the Triangle. Your local arts news. Many segments of Community Canvas so far have featured interviews with visual artists from the Triangle community. We bring the artists here to the studio, talk to them about their creation process, their current projects, along with their thoughts on the challenges that the arts face in today's society. We do this all in hopes of giving a glance into how creative minds think. Although, what we haven't touched on yet is the night that many Raleigh artists live for, First Friday, the monthly art opening and gallery night in Raleigh's downtown community. So for this segment of Community Canvas, Mike Alston hit the streets to find out just how busy downtown Raleigh becomes when the art comes alive. What he didn't expect to find, though, was a crazy night. He went searching for the onion head monster from Paul Frederick. He ran into a moving dance party. He also found some of the people that ride their bikes for Bike First Friday. But he started his night at the hub for many artists and downtowners. The design group and art gallery design box. All right, so this is Mike Alston. It's Friday, November 6th. I'm talking to Ali Khalifa, the uh, the owner of the design box, and the design box is featuring Paul Frederick tonight. How long has the design box been open? We've been here about three years, and in our previous location on Bloodworth Street, we were there for three years. So six years, and how long has, uh, has design box been participating in First Friday festivities? Actually, before there was Design Box, at, um, we had Gamil Gallery, so we used to be around Blunt Street, which is a previous incarnation, which was 1995 or 96, and um, we had a gallery there. At that point, we were one of four galleries in downtown, including Art Space, 
And um, so we could all fit our first Friday promotion in one little one-inch block and the newspaper. And um, so I guess we've gone from being one of four to one of 40 or something like that. It's great to see. I think there's a lot to be said for what's going on first Friday and the increase in the number of galleries, the number of people who are able to show art, which I think is like probably the most important thing is getting more people's art shown. Um, who, to whom do we attribute this and who, who can we thank for this? I think, I mean, it's, you know, this was started before, you know, we were involved. It's, you know, there's um, some interesting people that have been involved for a period of time. I think you can probably go back to the Visual Art Exchange and um, some of the people that were first involved with galleries that no longer exist. Um, it's, been, it's been a long tradition, and galleries have come and gone. And um, so there's a lot of people left along the way that you wouldn't see anymore. People aren't in the gallery business. It's a lot of people putting like heart and soul into it. A lot of them are connected with the artists themselves and trying to give them a venue, which is why we did it. And we looked at it for us that we had a space downtown and we had wall space and we could at least try to recognize some of the emerging artists. And that's what we focus on in Gamil Gallery and have been able to carry through Design Box because a lot of galleries have to pay rent with their space. And because we're you know, a design group, we can earn our money other ways and we can donate that. And that's the way we look at this space. Our gallery breaks even. We don't make a profit with it. How was the reception tonight? Uh, Paul has, like, so many fans. I know, I know. You know, that um, he's he's always got a presence somewhere, but it might be in Chapel Hill or it might be in Durham, or might, you know, but he's really good at understanding how an artist needs to market themselves and get their name out there. And, you know, I th the news this week was about the Carolina Hurricanes kind of picking up his work, which is really neat. So, I mean, he's he's super clever. I think he's, he's like, a really great role model for, like, emerging artists to understand what to do, but... This show's been great. I mean, he's got, like, an, another children's book planned, and you can see some of that work up here about the mouse in the house that can't sleep. Is there anywhere that you looked to to sort of figure out how to get people excited about art? Any other cities that you use as a model for how do we get people down, how do we get people to pay attention? I think um, if we do what we do because of our connection to the artistic community, and we just want to represent that. I think there needs to be more attention to local talent, and so that's why we started SparkCon, was to try to figure out how can you get local talent, not just painters, but tattoo artists or musicians or whatever. You know, like there's a lot of emerging talent that needs to be rep represented and recognized. And so, what's great about Design Box Gallery is that we can do anything here, that we can have an all film show and all photography and not have to fall into the genre. A lot of galleries are more about their artists and then represent them for a full year or something like that. And we don't have that kind of stuff. So in a certain way, it, it's not as good for the artists, but another way allows us to do much more um, diverse stuff. You can play by your own rules. Yeah, definitely. Those are our favorite rules. Cool. So I think that was it. That was Ali Khalifa. Tonight is Friday, November 6th. All right. Yes, you get the stickers. All right. So we're we're at Raleigh Times. What's your name? My name's Tim Ayers. All right. So what what exactly is going on? And is this a first Friday exclusive? No, no. We do this about four out of seven nights of the week. We we like to bring it real. Oh, that's a good jam. Is this your boombox? It is my boombox. When did you purchase this boombox? Bought it uh, just before SparkCon at Father and Son. It looks like you uh, you bought it just before SparkCon 1982. I just spotted Jenny Jones. 
You you do you do you really do this four nights a week? Sometimes, you know. Sometimes it's in a parking lot, a parking deck. Sometimes it's at times. The, anything special about the first Friday edition of the Moving Dance Party? Oh, no, the Roving Dance Party just happens, but uh, I do love First Friday as an artist, as a ceramic artist, uh, and just a supporter of local culture. Did you, go see, did you go see any art tonight? And then I'll leave you alone. Yeah, yeah. I went to uh, Rebus Works, Ant Farm, Collector's Gallery, Lump, Opponent, Oak, Visual Art Exchange, Fish Market, Morning Times. You did it all. I did it all. Nice, man. Thanks for talking to us. All right, and I'm talking to... Potatoes. All right, what's going on, Potatoes? How long have you guys been dancing? For a hot potato minute. Nicely done. A day? A day? I saw you last night at Feature Islands. You danced over at Troika last night, yeah? Yeah, we, we, were, uh, we were potatoing at the potato. Yeah, so you brought it from Durham to Raleigh. From Durham to Raleigh. There you go. You had to be here for First Friday, right? You ha- Of course, of course. Did you see any art tonight? Um, I didn't. It doesn't matter because there's really good independent music going on right now. That's right, DJ Major Glazer. Exactly. Awesome. Where are you guys going after Raleigh Times? Jackpot, there it is. My name is Bobby Funk. So what brought you out tonight? Um, I try to look forward to the intensity of the evening. Um, I, I, like to see, I like to see people pushing limits, but not, not too hard, but a little too far. And First Friday is a night where that happens, like the dance party downstairs. Um, in general, yes, but it really often comes down to... Um, people willing to get, I don't know, maybe get yelled at a little bit. Have you have you been yelled at recently? Um, I usually try to stay on the other side of the road while someone else gets it. Okay, cool. My name's Liz Pollum. And what did you see tonight? What did you go see? We, I mean, we went to a bunch of art galleries. So there was, the, at um, it wasn't art space, what was it called? Design Box. So there was this, uh, there was a series of cowboy um, art and it was just beautiful. It was really great. Did you guys go see that? We did. We went and talked to Design Box a little bit. How long, how long have you been coming to First Friday stuff? I've been to First Friday um, biking for probably five months. Awesome. So you do the bike First Friday. Did you make it out to A.H. Peel's uh, fundraiser for the 1304 bikes? Yes. We, yeah, yeah, yeah. So was that the one that was... Um, it was having the silent auction. Yeah, we all went there. We all went there this Friday. Awesome. How was that? It was really great. I saw a lot of people bidding on um, on the art and a lot of people, you know, really interested in that kind of stuff. Great. Great. So what ultimately brings you back time and again? I really like the, um, well, honestly, I really like the biking aspect of it because everybody gets together and everybody's a, really, a real unit. Um and it's it's well organized and it's it's cool because we go to all these different places and everybody's everybody's really interested in the art and really interested in making new friends and, and meeting each other and Did you guys have a bunch of people biking tonight? Yeah, I mean it's it's colder now, so it's less people than usual, but maybe around I don't know, fifty or sixty people maybe. That's really good for a forty degree night. Yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, you got to dress, dress for it, I guess. Anything else to add about First Friday? 
you know, if you if anybody's out there that wants to join us, we meet at the bell tower at seven on the first Friday, and then go out from there on our bikes. Student of the week on Eye on the Triangle, talking with Wolfpackers that are leading the pack. This week on Eye on the Triangle's Wolfpacker of the Week, we are fortunate enough to feature Mindy Sofer, an advisor for OASIS and a communication instructor here at North Carolina State University. I serve as an academic advisor in OASIS, which is the Office of Advising Information Support and Services. We say OASIS because it's a lot easier to remember, but also because it's kind of like a a respite for students when they're between one major and another or they're not really sure where they want to go and or they're lost on campus and we try and serve as a place where students can go to find their way or at least receive some (sighs) relief and then uh, work to move on to their next major. So I've been an academic advisor there for a little while. Before that, um, I served as an academic advisor in the communication department and I still to this day am privileged to teach uh, in the communication department. I've got public speaking in my background. I wasn't able to teach this fall, but I'm really looking forward to teaching a nonprofit leadership and development class in the spring. That keeps me going, and I would say that's my current passion, is working, connecting students to nonprofits and helping them find their uh, passion and vision, whether they want to go into that as a profession or whether it's simply something that they want to do because it's one of their values. Um, It's been really exciting to see students grow through that class, and in their 20, 20 to 25 hours that they volunteer um, in the class as part of the requirements. We do a lot of personal assessment, individual development, and then they work with other students in the class to do projects, and they've done some pretty amazing things. Last um, summer, our students in five weeks in that class raised about $4,000 and gave, oh gosh, 1,200 hours to community partners, which is pretty amazing. Um, in such a short period of time with such a small number of students, we're proud of that, that they um, continue the mission of the institution and we have a good time learning leadership in ways that can help benefit other people. And in my free time, I am an advisor for the Delta Upsilon fraternity working on their academic area in particular, coming to the end of my term with them. And uh, that kind of fulfills my personal passion of working with fraternity and sorority folks, which is what I've done ever since I graduated from college myself. So that's been a consistent theme. I was uh, brought here to NC State to be the director of Greek life back before a lot of folks were in high school. Um, I came from Old Dominion University in Norfolk, Virginia, where I thought I was going to retire. And then one of my friends and colleagues called and said, We'd like you to apply for this position because we want somebody who's seasoned to be the first director. That was a really nice way of saying we want an old person (laughs) who's got some experience. But um, Drew Smith called me and asked me to put in my application. And I was really enjoying the interview, and I fell in love with NC State immediately. Dr. Lockadoo, as he was interviewing me on my birthday at lunchtime, said, what could I tell you that would send you running away from Raleigh, never wanting to hear of NC State again? and never wanting to come back here on campus again. I said, that would be pretty tough. I I'm, I love the place. The students are very impressive. The opportunity, the job is great. Um, wonderful for personal and professional development. Great for community development. Wonderful alumni. Just, you know, I was raving about the place because I literally fell in love with NC State when I got here. 
my answer was kind of foreshadowing. I told him that he could tell me that my body would not be able to keep up with the kind of commitment that I would need to make here to do the job well and give it 110% like I usually do. Interestingly enough, about nine months later, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And that certainly slowed me down in my time that I was able to give and the energy that I was able to give to my work and everything outside of my work. So that was uh, the biggest challenge that I faced here at NC State. But I also have to say I found the most support, uh, overwhelming support from students, from faculty and staff, from alumni that I never, ever would have imagined. So coming to NC State was really like finding a second family. And uh, I give credit to my doctors, but I also give an awful lot of credit, at least as much to the students and my my colleagues here who helped me get through my cancer uh, to the point where I've had it actually four times and believe in my heart of hearts that I would not be here anymore if it weren't for the kind of support that I found from students and the enthusiastic, amazing support from my colleagues, faculty, and staff members. I have maintained my involvement with my sorority, which is Kappa Delta, great group, and a wonderful alumni association here in Raleigh. I've been president of our alumni association here and president of the Panhellenic Alumni Association, both here and in Norfolk. Great women who've also been very supportive of me through my cancer, but um, doing some amazing things in the community. We work with Girl Scouts. We work with the Junior League. We work with the Dove um, Self-Esteem Healthy Body Campaign. And we have a lot of fun. That's kind of nice, too, uh, as we try and live out our values by serving the community. And in the meantime, um, I have a little English bulldog at home. And I love my puppy. And anybody who knows me knows about my puppy. Queen Victoria comes and visits me in the office some days. And students get to meet her. It's kind of like pet therapy while you get your advising. No extra charge. So she's been a real big help, too. She had a predecessor named Missy. And Miss Violet took really good care of me when I was sick, too. You know, pets have a way of doing that. So. That's a, a little bit about me and my professional experience and a little bit of my personal life, too. I hope that helps. You've been listening to Eye on the Triangle and their Wolfpack of the Week, Mindy Sofer. WKNC 88.1. Next up is our Soundbite segment. Hi, I'm Matt Moore, and you're listening to Soundbites on Eye on the Triangle. Today, I got students' opinions on the ban on texting while driving going into effect December 1st. I'm Rashad Jackson. I am a wood product science. It should have been put in effect earlier. It's about as dangerous as DUI, probably even more dangerous because your eyes are focused on a little tiny screen when you have everybody's lives in your hand, not just yours and the passengers, but also people who are around you sharing the lane with you. And is your life really worth a LOL or a smiley face? I mean, you have to be the judge of that, so I'm 
Broadway. My name is Shari Oliver, and I'm an MS student. I am studying corporate communication. I am totally in agreement with it. Um, it's a very, very dangerous thing. The few times that I have done it in the past, I mean, you know, it could have resulted in very severe situ- situations. Um, so I'm, I'm in all for it, all for it. Taylor Siglia Textiles. I think it's a good idea because I'm a reckless driver as it is, so we need uh, to stop me at all costs. Alex Kowalski, professional golf management. I'm a sophomore. Well, back in high school, I learned how to text without looking, so now I can drive, not look at my phone, send a whole text message and be completely fine. Although I, I will admit that I've popped two tires one time while texting and driving, which is why I mastered the whole not looking at the phone and texting. So it's probably safe overall, but they still won't catch me. I'm Clinton Fitch, and I'm majoring in mechanical engineering. I'm freshman. I actually saw some Saturday Night Live skits about this, but uh, I kind of agree in the sense that, like, there are a lot of other things people do to keep their eyes off the road anyway. So, I mean, it's causing about as many accidents as, like, a parent yelling at a child. So, I don't think it matters. Adam Keough. I'm a uh, sophomore in business. I don't text at all. My phone is actually blocked for it. I think it's kind of a hassle and annoying, so I don't even bother with it. I can't even receive text messages. Personally, I don't really care because it doesn't affect me. But it's probably for the best because, you know... People don't pay attention, but at the same time, they do other things that are distracting, too. So, I don't know. It's kind of both ways. It's good and bad, depending on how much you text and whatnot. Walker Smith, I'm engineering and declared. I don't really think there's a need for a ban. I think that people should be able to do it so they see safe, and you should just enforce normal reckless driving laws. I mean, if people are reckless driving, then they're reckless driving, whether or not they're texting. I'm Tessa Gore, and I am a textiles major. Um... I mean, I've been terrified by my friends driving and texting, so I'm kind of for that. (laughs) Yeah, my friends texting and driving is bad. I try to be a little bit more careful, but yeah, I think it's a good idea. And that was Sound Bites on Eye on the Triangle. I'm Matt Moore. And that wraps up another episode of Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Make sure to check out our blog on WKNC.org slash blog for an online exclusive interview with Eileen Coombs about emergency systems on campus. Eileen was at Virginia Tech when the shootings happened and is now the student government advisor. And as always, to nominate a Wolfpacker of the Week, read more about our topics and preview next week's show topics or listen to a podcast of today's show, check out the blog. For comments, questions, and suggestions, email us at publicaffairs at WKNC.org.